everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we jump into the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from different disciplines, professions, and specialties, so we can solve real-world problems with people that face them. Today, we are down one host with Jameson taking on some actual real-world problems, but he'll be back next week. And as a result, unfortunately, we've had to postpone our episode with Jen Molino. But stay tuned. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic episode uh, next week as we add both of their voices back to the fray. Uh, but today, I am joined again by my wonderful co-host, Simon. Uh, and we were just talking about, you know, what is something that is engineering and security focused? And uh, what we sort of landed on was uh, security bugs and vulnerabilities and how how that sort of plays together. Uh, I think that in some organizations we have uh, security vulnerabilities tracked in different ways. And as we were talking, we just sort of started getting into it. And now we're hitting the record button. We're going to have this conversation uh, pretty live. So Simon, um, what what's your take on how you treat security vulnerabilities versus how you treat bugs, or are they sort of the same to you? I am I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> uh, no, those are two entirely different things, in my opinion. Uh, looking at bug to start out with, um, I, I have an expectation that you have a project to find. Uh, you have something that is written out with an end goal. It's got features. It's got requirements. Uh, you've probably spoken with the product manager, I would hope. Um, those need to get done, and, and those are what you're trying to get out the door. If something is not working and something is not matching up to what that that set of scope and set of requirements is, that's called a defect to me. That's a bug. That's saying I am I am not achieving my purpose in terms of delivering this product, so I cannot launch, and I need to fix that before we go out the door. Going to a vulnerability in 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 the other side of things, uh, that unfortunately is, is a potential that is something that uh you know is a is a, a breach of scope in my opinion uh on and honestly this is probably a really good question for generally talk to her because that's probably a sign of of miscommunication or lack of communication with security in terms of what you're trying to launch if that specific vulnerability was included in the original scope i would call that a bug I would say you have not fulfilled your, your requirements as a software engineer or product engineer, and you need to fix this vulnerability before that actually goes out the door. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you were talking, I was like, oh, man, I am uh, I'm ready to respond to this uh, because it sounds like if you have the security requirement there that the vulnerability is a bug, right? Because if we're doing our job from a security perspective and getting involved early, then it's like, these are security requirements that should be fulfilled. Uh, if they're not fulfilled, then should they be treated as a bug? Now, the reason that this comes up a lot for me is because bugs are typically prioritized up. I shouldn't say typically, but sometimes they are prioritized above security vulnerabilities based on risk. Absolutely. Right. And so if you have this business requirement that is needed and it's discovered in QA uh, that there is a that there is a not a security bug, but there's a regular bug, then that's like, you know, this has to this has to get through the door. And security requirements are sort of seen as this 
um, it's a non-functional requirement. If you're looking at, again, something we should bring up with, with Jen, Scrum versus Agile, it's, a, it's an NFR. You know, now it's, it's almost treated as less important unless the risk overrides the business uh, importance of this particular feature or, um, or functionality within the product. So I struggle with this myself of when to treat something as a bug or when to treat something as a vulnerability. And sometimes it, it sort of falls in both camps because the security requirements can, can be sort of general. Like you need to validate input on your code. Well, you know, that's not a very specific requirement. Right. And so should we treat that as a vulnerability or a bug? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and I, I agree, but I, I think vulnerabilities, you get pushed under the rug. Um, and, and honestly, I think as, as you know, myself, I could probably do a better job of looping and security and, and, you know, forcing myself to have those as requirements for launch. Uh, and, and I, I feel like this alludes a lot to, uh, technical debt as well. Um, going away from security for a second, you know, if you're talking about, um, a product that you're trying to launch and, and suddenly you're seeing some huge spike in latency and, and, immediately what happens is you go to your product manager and you say, hey, there's lag here. This is going to impact our product in this way. Uh, if you're looking at like a maybe a website, for example, you know, if that those page time, page load time slow down, that's going to affect the user that they're going to get frustrated and they honestly might even leave. And I think we need to treat vulnerabilities the same way where this might impact the product uh, and, and it will impact the product eventually if it's not addressed. Yeah, I mean, we we did talk about that in a previous episode. I mean, I don't, I can't recall which number it was at this point, but around like when things impact the product, um, th you know, it's 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 almost like you have this immediate priority that's attached to it. Uh, but security impacts are not necessarily tangible, and they don't have a an immediate dollar value associated right. with them or uh, they're, they're hard to sort of prioritize within the business context. And so you're sort of left with the, like you said, the potential risk of the vulnerability or of the, of the miss in the requirements. And that's how they get sort of uh, folded into it. So there's this lack of mapping sometimes in organizations between security risk and business risk that, right. uh, that, that clashes with uh, when to act on a particular security vulnerability. And I think that what I've seen in the past is that if you have a security vulnerability that has a critical impact, it's treated as like a priority level one bug because of the oh, overall potential impact. But then anything below that essentially becomes, you know, secondary to any high or critical business impact, which is a much in my opinion, it feels like a looser re requirement set. Maybe that's not in every organization, but it feels almost like what constitutes a critical business risk when it comes to a bug is not necessarily as uh, defined as maybe a security vulnerability and how we associate critical risk or high risk. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like we almost need to, it's, I honestly don't know how to fix this. It's such a weird, weird problem because like as an engineer, especially, you know, back when I was like writing code, I'm mostly managing now, but like, I, I, I hope to think that I have a very security centric brain. I try to care about this, but you know, when push comes to shove, I agree. Those get pushed under the table. 
uh, it, it's really hard to quantify that in, in dollars. I want to be able to say, uh, you know, almost like in a pre-mortem type sense, this this could happen. But again, it's that could where technical debt is is a for sure. You know, you're you're put in put in debt on that credit card, and at some point, you can actually quantify you're going to have to pay that down or suffer the consequences. So, you know, I, I don't know if this is a, a an issue with you know onboarding product into you know a more security centric brain and caring about this. I don't know if it's you know, being proactive and forming a security conscious team when it comes to, you know, planning work and making sure that we we actually look at these problems and we we take them seriously and 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 first and foremost, you know, make the time to do that. Cause I think that's one of the big problems is when you're talking about things out of scope, you know, you have a certain time limit and you say you'll do it later and it basically becomes part of your permanent black log. Yeah. I mean you mentioned something there. I think the value of security is is uh, is attached to your organization specifically. Um, as, as much as I hate to say it, some organizations value security only as far as it costs them more than their insurance reco- will cover, mm-hmm. right? So uh, they, they will mitigate some security risk through an insurance provider or a cybersecurity insurance provider, which is a method. I mean, I don't agree with that, obviously. I think that you know you should be protecting your users, your consumers, and then some businesses... Uh, will want, you know, the reputation of their security is very important to them. And so they they value that to a, to a degree. And the measurement of that, to me, seems like it differs between organizations. Like some organizations, you can attach a very clear dollar amount to, you know, the potential records loss or the potential fines you might receive if you um, violate some measure of compliance, the legal fees that you'll pay right and all of that and that's the extent of how much they care about the security of the organization is you know where do i fall in this spectrum how much money i'm going to i'm going to pay towards it and i think that our culture on the whole on the wor- you know the world culture essentially the digital culture seems to be moving to this idea that you know people do care about their personal security and if you violate that trust that there's a potential loss of customers and I would be interested to, you know, if anybody has any comments out there that has seen any of the reports or metrics on that, I'd be interested in in seeing that because I think that that can help to drive the importance of security um, vulnerabilities as these non-functional requirement bugs. But I will say that it seems like you're sort of coming around to the position of maybe we should treat them as bugs. I mean, again, it's... I, I will treat a vulnerability as a bug if I'm if I'm conscious of it and have scoped it out before starting a project. If it comes out, you know, later on and it's not part of the original scope, I'm still that's still not a bug to me. That's a vulnerability. Uh, it's just the way it is in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then so as a vulnerability, so let's let's take two scenarios here. Sure. As a vulnerability, how do you treat that differently than a bug? So I, you know, I have a, I don't know, let me, let me just think of a a more concrete example. Let's say that you have something I think most security professionals will attach to a SQL injection vulnerability where uh, someone is able to execute a SQL query against your database and pull back whatever, some arbitrary information. Uh, And the security requirement would probably be something along the lines of um, protect your databases right? Something as generic as that. How do you tackle that as an engineer? Do you consider that part of the requirements that you were given or is that treated as a vulnerability? I treat it as a vulnerability, honestly. And 
again, like I I completely plead guilty to doing this. This is not something I'm proud of, but yeah, it gets it gets treated as as part of the backlog. And you know, I I do hope that like when it comes to choosing what you want to do that's not product based. So you know, if you're talking about standard development life cycles, you know, you've got usually a pretty large amount of product work, and you really should be looking at tech, technical debt, and that should include security asks. Um, those usually tend to be small, and it usually, you know, especially with my engineering brain, when I want to fix something, and and vulnerabilities is something in the the world of fix. It's not in the world of, you know, make anything better in terms of the product. Um, at least not immediately. Is I I want cleaner code. I want more developer. You know, I want more usability. Developer experience comes first, and so that always takes a second pass. Uh, and Unfortunately, there's no such thing as like an empty backlog for an application. Things can always be cleaner. Things can always be better. So it's usually a very, very low risk. And, and that's something I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around in terms of getting myself to be more engaged and, and be more passionate about addressing those low-hanging fruit that could ultimately impact you in a really bad way, regardless of you know what you mentioned, if you have insurance covering it. I, I don't think that's a good image for a company to have, um, but, but I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to uh, viewpoints on using cyber insurance as sort of your only catch-all for, you know, prioritizing vulnerabilities. So I don't, you know, just to put that out there, neither Simon or I agree with with uh, necessarily that approach. But the question I do have for you is, given that same SQL injection vulnerability, what level of requirement do you need or what's an example requirement that you would need to consider that a bug? That's a very good question. I would, I would say almost like a level of proof and, and like maybe this is too much of an ask for security. Like this is maybe asking the world, but what, what I would ultimately love to see and, and I could rant about this forever, but usually when I get, you know, I'm going to go into requirements world again, I get requirements from security. It's usually in the form of uh, you know, a report, it's in the reform of just like, here's a standard, please adhere to it. And, you know, I keep going back to, if it's not in my scope, we're not going to do it. And and scope is really like, what do you physically need me to do? And I, especially in my more junior days, when I would get security requirements, I almost felt uh, almost not ashamed, but kind of embarrassed to ask specifics in terms of, okay, like you're, you're asking me to fix SQL injection. Like, how exactly does that work? What should I be doing? And so if, if that can be mapped into an actual requirement, so if you're, you know, looking in the world of Agile or looking in the world of, you know, product delivery as a X, so as a security engineer, I would like this specific thing to be done so that this thing doesn't happen anymore. If I can get that, I think it'd be a lot easier and much more engaging for engineers to pick that up because the scope and the, the requirement and the depth of what needs to be done is done for you. You don't need to basically add on this pack of research of, okay, now I need to deep dive SQL injection. I need to figure out what that means. What does that do? Where is that impacted? Okay, well, I need to check, you know, what tables am I accessing and what are the endpoints that are being hit? Uh, what are the fields that are being used? Okay, well, this is not really a bug. This is something that could happen. So I'll deal with this later. I mean, I think I think you touched on something key here in, in that when security engineers ask you to fix something, um, that I think that is the fundamental problem with the approach is that security testing, as we talked about in the testing episode, is coming at it from 
we've analyzed this application and we've discovered this vulnerability. We call it a vulnerability and we need you to do what you do to fix it. If we were involved earlier in the process, we should be able to tell you this is the way you can create and uh, organize your SQL queries. This is the way that you do it securely. If you If you do it in a different way, you've not met the requirement. So right. like to sort of answer my own question, if I'm not providing you with the way to do something, then I can see where your I can see where your point is, right? It's a vulnerability. I never told you how to do this. As a result, there's there's a, you know, a SQL injection vulnerability in your code and then we can risk rate that with the vulnerabilities. If I had told you to do it in a specific way, you know, I'm sort of trying to understand from you as an engineer, like to what degree is that? Is that like me saying, okay, in Java, this is how you create a, um, you know, a secure SQL query. Here are some documentation associated with it. Or like how explicit does a security engineer have to be in order for you to consider that a requirement? Yeah. Um... And I, before I answer that, I, I just want to verify, you know, in, in terms of what I, I love about engineering, it's being able to solve my own problems and be able to find my own creative solutions to things. Um, and, I'll, and I'll map this to, you know, how I, I, I handle a product requirement, right? It's as a, as a software engineer, I may have ideas, I may have some, some cool thoughts on maybe like, I can improve the user experience in this way. But ultimately, you know, the product vision or roadmap should come from someone else. And they should be able to guide me in terms of, I want the user to be able to experience this in this fashion. So whether it be, you know, here's a design for a page or, you know, maybe a checkout page or something, or, um, you know, how filters on like a search page, should look, something like that. Okay. Give me like the overall vision and what you think works. How to map that to security is definitely, you know, an example. It doesn't need to be, you know, like you mentioned, here's the, the, like specifically in Java, how this needs to be done. But for me, it's what's really useful is examples. So, you know, uh, hey, I you could use this library, for example, to fix this problem. Um, here's an example, or um, you know, especially if you're uh, you know on some sort of cloud platform and security has its own maybe instance of applications, or maybe it's own sandbox. They can actually have a GitHub repository that's like, here's an example of how this gets remediated, and I can look at that and say, okay, cool. Maybe not as clean as I would have hoped, but I get what you're saying. I can roll with that. Um, I, I, this goes to me, all, all goes back to, you know, code as communication, uh, you know, we're all in engineering in some way, shape or form, and this is how we communicate. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. And I think that security should be able to do that sort of design, you know, what this looks like, but I guess my question is, you know, how did, how do you want to see that as a requirement? Because what you've described is sort of, um, you know, general documentation on how someone might approach this and all that. Uh, and then you know, we sort of talked about that at the beginning, which is, okay, well, if I just tell you, you need to ensure that uh, your, your, your queries are parameterized or something, or that you prevent SQL injection, it's like, I'm just trying to figure out where that line is, you know, is it, is it language specific? Is it concept driven? You know, these are the things that drive security training and the role-based security training that you talk about is that what what is reasonable for a security practitioner to expect of engineers given a specific level of education that they're providing to the organization? 
and and at what point is that considered a requirement? Because to your statement, right? It's it's sort of you're saying, well, it's treated as a vulnerability because it's a potential problem. But the way that I look at it from security is that every bug that you find is because of a potential problem that that failed to happen. Like you're saying that maybe it it is because of a requirement that that uh, we missed, right? Right. But if let's just say that um, I'm going through QA and I'm you know tagging through you know going through all these things and all of a sudden the pay the page hangs mm-hmm. at every single point during this. Um, during this like interaction that I'm having with an, with an application, it just hangs for like 30 seconds and then continues. Yep. What, what you're going to do as an engineer, I think, and you tell me if I'm wrong here is say your immediate reaction to that is that shouldn't happen. Right. And so I'm going to trace that back to the requirement that I missed in order to fix it because I agree that shouldn't happen. But in security, it's like, hey, you have a SQL injection vulnerability. And as a result, I can pull all the usernames. And I feel like the immediate response from maybe not all engineering teams, but some is, I know that shouldn't happen, but I don't care. (laughs) Right? Like, that's not a functional requirement of this product. Right. So... And so that that path back to the requirement that we may have missed, whether it existed or not, doesn't exist for you know the bug vulnerability thing. It's like a very clear delineation. There's like this emotional uh, stop when it comes to security issues sometimes that happens. And I'm just trying to uncover like what can we on the security side do to fix that mentality of okay, I, I get it, it won't happen. What's the 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 sort of arguments that we hear like what's the likelihood of that happening? You know, or, you know, I just feel like that page hanging, if that happened one time out of 10, you'd still be concerned about it. Oh, yeah, it'd be handled. Absolutely. Yeah. So the big difference between your example of like a page hanging and a security issue is that for me, you need to isolate the theory from the code. So going back to our our favorite SQL injection example, because why not? Um, Cool. I, as an engineer, I understand what you're saying. You can literally you can inject, you can place SQL code where it doesn't belong. And through that, a query gets executed. Um, and you're getting information that you're basically, what I'm saying is you're, you're, you're using our code in a way that's not intended that we didn't realize. And for me, um, for SQL injection, like I've, I've done Googling of like remediation stuff, but like, to, I need to. I don't have the the depth of knowledge as to what really exactly happened in terms of SQL injection. So that you know that query, that select query or whatever, select star, what have you, gets written, and that somehow hits my database. And the reason why it's different to me than uh, hey, the page load is hanging, the page is hanging. Cool. I'm going to figure out where it's slow. That's that's all I need to think about. Figure out where it's slow. I can profile it. With this, I don't fully understand how that's working. There's some black magic that's happening between that endpoint call and that database that is causing problems. And that's not my standard code brain anymore. That's you're using Java or you're using this API in a way that's not known to me. That's like, that's not, that's not legal. That's not how that stuff works. And so if I had that explanation kind of abstracted out, so, hey, this is where it's happening. And so when this specific line of code gets executed, this is, this is where that's going and that's how it's sneaking through. 
that's where like, okay, cool. Thanks security guy. I can take it from here. Um, I understand why like my code is an issue. If that makes sense. No, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I think that that is, that's the important, I mean, this is why education for engineering teams and role-based specific education for engineering teams is, is so important. Absolutely. Um, not that it's the end all be all of these things, but in a case of SQL injection, like under understanding the mechanics behind an attack will help to drive the point home to engineering teams as to why this is important. Right. I think that too often from the security side, we get caught up in knowing the, um, knowing the, the like where, how to identify the vulnerability and just inherently through our experience, knowing what the end result of that vulnerability is going to be. And then using that end result as evidence of the exploit or using that end result as evidence of the thing. And so some security practitioners will take the approach of, well, see, here's the end result. You know, obviously it's a problem. Right. But without understanding the mechanics of it, you know, you, you're not necessarily understanding like how that can be used or, or whatever. So the, the approach that I take when we're faced with that on the tail end, on the testing side, is to say, is to come up with these exploits that show like a real world valuable exploit for that particular business that maybe takes advantage of data that's in it or, or whatever and moving that, moving that into uh, the delivery of the vulnerability because then it can help to highlight this is how an attacker would look at this. This is how an attacker would uh, take advantage of this situation, and that's why we're raising this criticality. Right. The The issue that we have is that sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, like we don't necessarily have the time nor the skills to exploit every single instance of SQL injection to that degree for every application that we're responsible for. We right. may be time boxed by the the time we have to assess an application. And so we immediately go to these vulnerabilities with the understanding that you know, you understand this is a problem, right? So I may not be able to exploit this, but someone could. And then the response from the business is sometimes, well, okay, show me, tell me when that's a, when it actually happens or tell me when that's a problem. And I think that one of the things that we don't really communicate well in the security industry or don't communicate effectively enough in sort of these engagements is the time factor of how long an attacker is looking at the organization and able to to try exploiting this vulnerability, and then how long we have as either assessors or in-house practitioners to exploit that vulnerability. You know, we want to fix it as fast as possible because we know that there are there are organizations or people out there smarter than us, maybe with more manpower than us, with more time than us, that can take advantage of this, and we don't want to risk it. Right. So I think that the expectation from a business to a security engineer is you guys do all the security stuff. You should be able to exploit it. If it's exploitable, then you should be able to do it in, you know, five minutes. Right. <laughs> and that's not always the case. No, no, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, you really have to, I feel like that adding that, that how, that how is your code fundamentally broken from the security side would really help alleviate that because you, you, you mentioned bandwidth. You don't have the bandwidth to cover every single issue, every single bug. And constant engineering, like you have senior engineers and, and staff engineers for that purpose. You can't have everything covered. You need people who can call out those things and have that 
breadth of knowledge to say, hey, this is not going to be performant ahead of time. This is not going to work ahead of time. This is going to be uh, an exception or something. So if you have that kind of base level covering of when you call out things, call it out in a way that kind of sinks in their brain where the theory is now gone. It's just, I understand from a code level why this is a problem. I feel like that would engage in your engineers to be more proactive about stuff like this. So, you know, when you're designing an application, you're thinking, oh, I have a database. I remember that one time I found out how this thing works. Let's just go ahead and do it now and add it to part for scope because I'm worried about this now. And, and I think engineers are, are eager to make their code safe, make it clean. And I, I think that could really help. Well, I think that I can say that some engineers would feel that way. Some, and, fair. And I think that, uh, and I, so, <clears throat> you know, obviously we're on this podcast together. We've worked together for a number of years. And so you have that mentality, right? It's like, I, I understand security to a degree and uh, I'm an engineer by trade and profession, but you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I trust my security engineers to sort of tell me when something is awry, to show me what I need to know in order to make this um, something that I can fix and that I can be uh, aware of and excited about as a requirement. I will say that, you know, you're not every engineer. So like in our experience too, we also run into engineers that still just don't care, right? That uh, maybe they, they can, they've seen the exploit and they're like, great, that looks a lot like a lot of fun to do. I've got like a business requirement to, to deal with. Not my problem. And it's not my problem. So it, you know, it's sort of it goes both ways in that respect. And I, I think for me, it's the reason that this conversation has come up is if you are if you are in an organization where you can put a vulnerability into the bug path, it gets the same treatment as a bug. Whether the whether the engineer likes it or not. Because if an engineer doesn't necessarily agree, even with the business case, they're still bound by the process to fix a bug. Whereas vulnerabilities, unless you have a similar equal process for engineers to handle vulnerabilities, that separation doesn't work. Because I think that where we land most of the time when we're coming into organizations, is that there's a process for bugs, there's a process for defects, there's a process for features, there's a process for all of these things. And vulnerabilities are sort of in this world where we have a process for vulnerabilities, but it is still seen as a second-class citizen sometimes when you're looking at it from the engineering perspective. So is the answer to shove that process into bugs or is that answer to keep that process separate and and sort of what you were saying you know train engineers up and make sure that they care about it yeah i honestly i sadly disagree i think i think that first that first idea you really need to have security as product because uh, sure yeah you can say from here on out vulnerabilities are part of scope they're part of you know we'll call them bugs we're going to use that now but push comes to sub, you're going to have a project and you're going to start hitting that deadline. Things are going to change as they always do. And you're going to have people saying, well, do we really need to fix this right now? Like, we need to get this out next week. Like, we can we can do this in V2. It's like we can launch this for a week and then we'll fix it later. And I, and I think that that will still happen. I think you, you really need to have people who are dedicated to this. 
it is their job to uh, focus on vulnerabilities and maybe technically, you know, we're, we're broaching site reliability engineering at this point, but you, you need people who are focused on fixing these type of things if they're not going to be prioritized at the beginning. And, and you said it yourself, not all engineers care about this. And until we get to this magical place where engineers care about code quality and, uh, you know, good code safety practices, that'll never happen in my opinion. <laughs> the world message by Simon Dolo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that there's an element of, you know, corporate culture that you can use as a as a barometer there, whether folks are going to uh, care or not care and determine how many people you can dedicate to that and really what team they're on, whether that's security or or engineering. Uh, but look, we've been talking for a while now, um, and I definitely want to be cognizant of the time. And what I'll say is, you know, we had a bit of a slapdash episode uh, today, but, you know, um, that will change next week when we bring uh, Jen on to discuss the Agile Scrum, things that we had planned for, for this week, but it just didn't quite make it given the technical difficulties and real world issues that, uh, that we went through. Uh, but that wraps this episode. Uh, as always, you can reach us at www.r2dso.com. Uh, reach us at Twitter, at R2DSO, the number two. And um, and yeah, if you want to send us an email with any topics or suggestions, you can reach us at security at R2DSO.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.